I don't want to go. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. All right. Hello, everybody, uh, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 112. I'm your host, MotoGP, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. Another remote cast. I'm in Nokomoto Podcast Studios. No, I'm in Moto One Podcast Studios North, whilst Swiggy is at Moto One Podcast Studios Central recording Suite A. Let's see. Uh, Swiggy, you should have Jackson there manning your board. And I've got. Um, Oh, that's right. I fired it before we started recording. Never mind. I don't have one. I don't have an intern here. We had one of our 300 days of sunshine that we get every year here in Northern Colorado, finally before an episode. Wow. It was beautiful today. It's been largely beautiful for about the last week, in fact, which is troubling for a lot of people, but I don't know. I've been having a lot of, uh, a lot of rides by myself getting them in here and there uh let's see swigs you don't have one of your working bikes with you but you've had the super hawk down with you have you gotten that out for any rides uh yeah i've had it out a couple times uh i have learned something a little bit unfortunate though which is the riding pants i have do not agree with your seat at all and it's extremely slippery so really? I've been riding without the pants. I slide huh, all I, over I never had an issue. Hmm. I don't know what it is. But like, yeah, I, I slide all over that seat. Huh. Well, that seat kind of does need recovered pretty soon. Like, it's not all totally fucked, but it's getting a little bit of like a hole worn in it in one spot. So I don't know. Maybe there's something we can do. Put some grip tape on it or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But yeah, I've been doing shit tons of riding up in the mountains if I can. I took the Goldwing this week up by Mishawaka, and then I just went probably half an hour past it and then just started making random left right turns in the mountains, just trying to get lost basically until I saw a sign that said Fort Collins one hour this way. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll head back that way. Uh, yeah, I've just been, you know, a few times I've just ridden the bike just up and down uh, I-25 because it's not bad on the highway. Uh, I, uh, yeah, that's just been like my little jam with it. And today I had the ultimate dad day. I mean, uh, plenty of homeowners will understand what I'm talking about, but I, it's really just like dads will sort of get what I'm talking about. And I know for a lot of our listeners, I'm, I seem very childish, but you know, just to let you know what kind of like my world is like, I had this day today where obviously I had to homeschool my kids and shit and whatever, which is a pretty dad thing to be doing these days. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something for me. And then I thought, fuck that. I'm going to clean the shed. And that's close enough. So I clean out the shed and, and I, I've just got like a bag of beers that I took out the fridge that I'm just walking around with, just, just downing them as I get jobs done. You know, I take a pee behind the, the shed and, you know, over the winter, 
some plastic bags and trash had blown back there. And I'm like, what is this bullshit? Other people's trash in my goddamn yard. Yeah. Very dad moment. And then I, I washed and polished all my vehicles, including the lawnmower. I, I turned my sprinklers on today, which is a huge moment for every dad every year. It's sort of this moment where you're like, okay, it's on right the the this whole the war extra, has resumed the ceasefire has ended right there's this whole list of things you have to do that fall under the heading of dad jobs and that day you turn the sprinklers on you're like okay it's that season again yeah so today was that day for me yeah um which isn't a bad feeling you it's sort of it gives you a sense of purpose right uh it's hard to describe yeah i just watched tiger king pretty much all day it was really depressing and i felt awful at the end of it so that was my my day my employees keep telling me i need to watch tiger king because i love fucked up white trash shit so much but i love it when it's really organic i don't know that you can just produce the sort of crazy shit that you know, I mean, like I enjoyed the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia, but I feel like this is just trying to be another one of those. I haven't watched it yet, though, so I don't know. The fact that the show even got made, it's it's kind of on the same level of moral integrity that bum fights is like. You'll feel bad for watching it. It's it's kind of awful. Yeah. So anyway, motorcycle stuff. Let's see. I put some pictures up on the Instagram if anyone wants to check them out. But I was saying I cleaned and polished all the vehicles today. I took the top box off of the Goldwing and really got in and polished a lot of things that I couldn't really get to and reach underneath it. And it's now got this weird sort of honda f6b look to it so i'm calling it the f4b and i sent a picture of it to phil and i was like check it out the mythical that never was 1978 honda f4b the ultimate in old man motorcycle envy right because I'll admit, like, I'm not 40 yet, but I might as well be because I'm one of those people that would love to have an F6B. That's, you know, it's like uh, Jeremy Clarkson said, you're not a car guy unless you're into Alfa Romeo, right? And you're not really officially lame until you're into the Honda F6B. Right. That's when you know you've officially crossed into a realm of your life where you're just less relevant and you and you're just going to have to accept that. And I'm definitely squarely in there. And now I've got this point where I have basically the 1978 version of that. And I'm just wondering if 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 they all t- care to take a look at it, if there's any bike on the planet that all the dudes from Cleveland Moto would get a bigger boner for, right? Because it's a Goldwing. It's the F6B setup, right? It's a vintage bike. It's a Honda. 
it's in that weird Honda 70s brown color. Like this bike has nothing going for it that young people could appreciate or want or possibly ever desire. It's just like if old men were looking at me a different way on this bike, they they are really they are really giving me the eye now. Old men want to get into my pants now basically the way this bike is set up i and i'm sickly enjoying it i rode it around and i was telling you before we started recording i think that top box took 40 pounds of weight off the back of it and it noticeably handles a little bit different a little bit better so as i continue to strip things off of it we're just going to see how the experience keeps changing yeah, well, it'll affect it a lot because that's kind of like outside of the triangle. Like any weight there is going to have a significantly larger effect on the handling and the balance of it than if it's like between the wheels. Right. Yeah. And I've noticed I, I've really got the front suspension pumped up a lot on it. And. <sighs> I don't know. It's still, it still goes up and down a little too quick. I'm thinking when that vetter comes off of it, it's the suspension's really going to come into its own and it's going to feel so much better. But anyway, let's see. We're, we're like 10 minutes in now and we haven't gotten to best worst bike. Like there are listeners who are just scratching their arms. Like I need my fucking fix. Well, before we do that, yeah. Uh we have one other item of business we have to take care of. Oh, a correction and a mission? Yes. Yes, we do. Do you wanna um, you wanna take the lead on that? Uh let me uh where is it? Well, um, it was from Eric who sent us something saying that the Suzuki DL ten fifty does not have the GP um vvt a variable valve timing system in it but it feels right <laughs> <laughs> so i will take yeah and he is right and i will take full responsibility for this one um i was actually watching a fort nine video about the um the bmw r1250 gs and at the time, he was mentioning the mechanical variable valve timing system that uh, Suzuki had created. And he was saying that Suzuki had already come up with a better solution, but not specifically that they had put it in the bike. He actually said that they should put it into the V-Strom. And I was not completely paying attention. And now that I think back on it, his point doesn't really make a lot of sense if nobody's actually implemented it yet. But yes, uh, I totally misinterpreted that, wasn't paying attention, and that slipped in. Which is also a great reminder, don't use this as a source. It's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're like 90 to 95% correct, but because these episodes tend to be an hour and a half to two hours long, that means there's going to be at least five wildly incorrect things in every episode. Yeah. But anyways, thank you, Eric, for, for keeping us humble and setting the record straight. 
Yeah. And also, Eric, I may have sent you something a little bit extreme in a response to the other part of your email, but I just felt like it was worth defending. But you're largely correct on the other point anyway. So uh, after that, let's see, are we ready to get to best worst bike? I think we are. Okay. So here is the deal. Every week, we each pick two different motorcycles, and they are to be the best and the worst bikes in the world this week. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. Now, some people, well, they don't like what we choose. And it's rare, but it does happen more often they find some little fact that we said about the bikes that was incorrect and they send us emails and to their credit, it's usually very helpful and constructive, but occasionally it's not. Now, if you're one of those people, don't lose your shit. Send a calm email to contact at nokomotopodcast.com or you can even send it to swiggy at nokomotopodcast.com or MotoGPete at nokomotopodcast.com or contact at creative writing podcast.com it's fine you can send it wherever you want you can send it to the president i don't care but try to make it constructive and remember that uh like quinn said in jaws you know you you see them and they roll over their eyes and they're just dark and dead like a doll's eyes and there's no crying in motorcycles so i think swiggy you have what was it you have hold on hold on wait i have i have worst you have best bike in the world this week right i hope so yes okay (laughs) all right are you ready to reveal it i am Okay, and the best bike in the world this week is the 2001 Honda Transalp 650. Wait, the Transalp made it to 2001? Holy shit, it did. I always think of this as a weird, like, early, mid-90s thing. I had no idea this made it this far. This Holy bike actually crap. started out in like uh 87, I believe. Yeah. I always think of this as as the uh like slightly smaller Africa twin and I think of it as being uh, it's sort of picking up where the Africa twin left off. Like people thought the original Africa twin maybe was a bit big or whatever. And so this was the 650. It was a little bit more like people thought this kind of bike should be proportioned. And I just think of it, I don't think of it as existing past like 95, but I am incorrect. This is very KLR 650. You know, I'm probably stealing all your talking points. You you go ahead. So this is actually even a little bit less off-road capable than the KLR 650. Um, I think this version comes in at around 420 pounds. It's got 55 foot-pounds of torque and 40 foot, or it's got 41 foot-pounds of torque and 55 
and 55 horsepower. Um, and this has kind of the pre-NC um, motor, because this is the V-twin. Uh, fun fact, this has actually got the Doval motor in it. Oh, really? Yeah, but it's not burdened with another, you know, 150 pounds of ridiculous gear. and. Well, how does it have shaft. so much more torque than the Doval motor? It doesn't. It's 41 foot-pounds. Uh, I thought the Doville, the Dowville had like 30 or 29 or something. I thought it was really pathetic. Well, at the rear wheel after the drive shaft, yeah. But this is a chain. Oh, yeah, so it's gonna it's gonna be less power robbed. Also, it's lighter where the Doville was much heavier. Yeah. Right. So if you try and look at this as an off-road vehicle. It's complete trash. It's a horrible prospect. Uh, thinking about using this like a KLR 650 as like a budget off-road vehicle, really dumb idea. But the whole point of this bike and what makes it so interesting and such a great idea is that this is kind of real-world transportation if you are off the beaten path, you know, if you live out in the middle of nowhere and you've got like a two or three mile um, unpaved road that you need to take to get to your house, this is really the true 80 20 vehicle that you want to have to do that job. So this bike actually fits into this really nice niche that happens in a lot of places, you know, and when you think about the name, the Transalp. If you live in some little mountain town and you need to get somewhere, you know, if you need to like get into town, then this will do the job for you. And it's kind of built that way as well, because it's not going for pure off-road performance. It's doing this very much hybrid thing. So this is a bike, a fairly budget bike in 2001 that has some decent suspension for mild off-road. Uh, you actually get a fuel gauge, and it comes with a five-gallon tank as well. So when you put this all together, you know, nobody at Honda was looking at this bike when it was coming out, and they think they thought, this is going to make us rich. This is going to be the envy of all other manufacturers. Right. Like nobody had those delusions when this bike came out. This bike came out to fit into people's lives. Well, I think I accidentally hit the nail on the head at a 45 degree angle when I started <laughs> it. When I started saying, you know, I always thought of this as picking up where the Africa twin left off, but that's not it at all. This solves 80% of the problems people have with the KLR 650. You know, that's it, a good way to put it. Yeah. It's it's, if you think of it as really a better KLR 650, it makes a lot more sense because it does very KLR 650 things. Now, 
we, well, we just have this how... idea with the KLR mm. 650 that Enduros just have to be these big single cylinder thumper things, but there's no reason it can't be two cylinders. There's no I reason it I, couldn't be. Well, let me put it. Let me put it another way. Similarly to how, you know, in the the sport touring world, like everything that's in the sport touring category kind of fits along is really kind of fitting along a spectrum between sport and touring and they all make different compromises and some lean more towards a sporty touring bike as opposed to a sport bike that's touring capable this just leans way more towards on-road than off-road you know the klr and the transalp are on are leaning towards the different ends of the spectrum and kind of their their dual purpose design i think the klr leans a little more on road as well uh yeah to a degree yeah i can see that but but either way you know uh, no one expects either to do amazing things just be able to do a little a little trail duty competently that's that's all we need Right. And this is really more of a I'm going to be just good enough off road that you don't shit your pants when you have to go down the gravel, you know, road full of puddles and mud to get to where you need to go. Exactly. Which is something that a lot of people need, even if it's considered a fairly trivial thing. Yeah, you know, rednecks should love the shit out of this bike. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, and not only that, but they should love it because of how outdated the styling is. I am starting to really fetishize this this late nineties, early two thousand styling, where this is looks- like early nineties futurism. Yeah, is what I would were, call this style. Well, a lot of like ZX zx ninja bikes and a lot of stuff from honda like the doville and this bike they all have this look where they look like they're being strangled with piano wire (laughs) yeah right (laughs) the fairing just has these deep cuts in it and then those integrated turn signals part of the fairing forward it just looks like they're all being strangled and this is the new like eight you know how like the 80s box look was so cringeworthy and oh, you should well- see the early you should see the early versions of these bikes there is this bike has been redesigned like three times yeah i'm well none of them are the early versions well yeah but the early versions like the early africa twins is kind of becoming a weirdly desirable look this is peak uncool right now but that's what makes it great like the kl are because if you just realize it's all function then you could totally accept that it doesn't matter how it looks yeah i agree i know there's kind of another element to this bike though uh and it's uh, i'm gonna try and keep this as far away from politics as possible but there's a philosophy in this bike that i really like and you know what, we'll, we'll tie this back to um, when everyone was talking about the motorcycle industry shrinking and going away. 
Right. You know, when, when sales were going way down, when people were talking about how many new writers there are and how can we save the industry. Uh huh. It, Cause it's really weird the way that motorcycle culture works because of how much of the modern industry and culture sprung up around the end of world war two, mm-hmm. you know, from a time when we were basically rebuilding the the western world and every single one of the companies that really picked up and took off around that time is kind of built into a lot of how the modern economy works which is all springboarded off of what happened after world war ii when everyone was rebuilding everyone said was saying constantly you know let's get better let's get back to where we were let's keep going build up up and up and then we never really transitioned out of that growth phase and everyone, you know, thinks that everything can grow forever and everything can get bigger and everyone can get a bigger market share and there's no such thing as saturation. So we see all these crazy flagship bikes and everything has to be way bigger and way cooler. And maybe in 50 years, we'll find a way to sell five bikes to every person on the planet every year. Like it, the the mindset keeps going into this, these crazier and crazier places as people try and keep growing because that's kind of what they're obligated to do because that's what yeah if you're not growing done. you're dying that's the business philosophy yeah or the post war philosophy right right but this is this bike kind of just says no to all of that. It's not the fastest bike. It's not the lightest bike. It's not the best on-road. It's not the best off-road. Arguably, it's not the best dual purpose or dual sport. It's not the fanciest. It doesn't have the best technology. But it fits into your life. It brings you back down to reality. Well, also... This is why I fucking love Honda and Honda is my favorite. The KLR is seen to be as the be all and end all of its little particular corner of the motorcycle market. But weirdly, this whole time, Honda's had a better one. And who the fuck could have a better KLR than the KLR? Only fucking Honda, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and Honda has so many of these. But not only that, um, you said, uh, I can't remember what episode it was that you picked the Dowville as the worst bike in the world. But you said, you know, I kind of almost love this bike. I'm picking it as worst bike. But if I had one of these, I might love it. But I think that engine, this platform in this package makes 10 million percent more sense than the Doville, right? Yeah. Because the Doville has some sort of pretense about maybe it's kind of thrilling or sporty to ride, where this doesn't do that. How awesome would it be to have the Doville CD player in your trans album? Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking (laughs) like if we can get a CD changer in like a top box on the back of one of these and I can be rocking like for some reason, I'm just feeling use your illusion 
you know, one and two back <laughs> to back as I'm just like going through like Appalachia or something like that. I don't know why I'm just here in paradise city as I'm like crossing from North to South Carolina. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. This is a good choice. I I've really never taken a good look at these. I just sort of thought, Oh, it's the thing that sort of came after the Africa twin. And that's really all I ever thought about it. And there's yeah, so and everyone, well, everyone, every, everyone always compares these to the Africa twin, but I feel like, yeah, that's a huge mistake. It is. It's, it's just, it doesn't fit in that category. I think the KLR six fifty comparison is way more appropriate. I do too. And again, it solves all the problems that people have with the KLR 650. Yeah. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, I think we got that that one. All right. Best bike in the world this week. Okay. Now it's time for worst bike. And the worst bike in the world this week is the 1982 to 1983 Yamaha XZ 550 Vision. Now, the problem here isn't really the bike itself because the bike itself is kind of wonderful. My problem with this bike is this is one of the biggest failures of marketing. I've come across in motorcycles. So what are we dealing with? What? Again, yeah, it's the, the bike's a failure of marketing. Cause again, the bike itself is kind of awesome. Well, it's not awesome, but this was okay. This is a great example of Yamaha not staying in their lane. And, you know, Yamaha's got a bit of weight. They can they can do wacky shit, but they should have committed much harder with this one. Now, in the early 80s... Yeah, I am just... Okay. Hmm. Well, I'm just looking at this bike, and so it's kind of going for almost in the, the shape and the styling of it. It's almost looking kind of GS, GS-ish sort of kind of sporty UJM. Yeah. But it's a small displacement V-twin. And it is a four valve. But it's also shaft driven. And it's a hugely over square motor. So, yes. All these things. How does this fit together? Well, I can tell you how it fits together. And I can tell you what it is this is a gentleman's bike this is the early 80s version of a gentleman's bike look at it 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 looks weird looking today the rims are super weird looking the tanks weird looking the seats weird looking but overall if you take a step back you're like okay this is extremely 80s styled but you can see how this looked super cool in the 80s yeah i can see that but it's just a regular standard motorcycle 
It's not particularly sporty. The seat's a little bit high and the bars are a little bit low, but it's not a sport bike. It's not a cruiser. It's just a standard bike. Now it's got a quirky engine and it's shaft drive because it's low maintenance because it's a gentleman's bike. It's something you could ride to work in the eighties and not look like a hooligan, you know, and, and, you know, cause in this, in this era, we're starting to see a lot of like sport bikes. We're starting to see more fared stuff. We're starting to see vanilla ice types, right? Riding motorcycles. And this is going, no, this is just like someone that would ride a motorcycle to work in the fifties, but this is the more stylish eighties version of that. Yeah. It's kind of going under, it's, it's kind of like the Rolls Royce principle of, it has to look primitive so that you know it's sophisticated, that it's classy. Sort of, yeah. Now, the motor itself is kind of a little gem. It's only a 550 V-twin, and it revs up to almost 10,000 RPM, which is pretty high for a little V-twin back then. It makes a really respectable 64 horsepower for a 550cc V-twin, right? Uh, 462 pounds, uh, right kind of in the middle there, reasonably priced, um, not expensive, not super cheap at about $3,000 then, right? Hang on. I got to do the, I got to do the, the torque calculation here. I want to say that it's not going to come out too well. I want to say it's about 32 foot pounds of torque. Oh, 35 and a half. Okay. Okay, again, but this isn't supposed to be... Not amazing, but still decent. For a 550 V-twin in the the early 80s, I mean, I... I, Yeah, that's that's really good. Right, for a 550, the motor's kind of a little gem, actually. It's, it's, it's just a little midweight sort of gentleman's, you know, I'm not going to say sophisticated, but it's not crude. It's just a, a polite little bike right now. This is a sort of category that from time to time, various manufacturers have tried to hit and no one's really nailed it on the head until Honda recently with the NC 700 and 750 is really kind of what this the philosophy they should have been trying to push with this bike of, Hey, trouble free miles, an engine that does what you need. You know, you want a bike that people aren't going to judge you or think weird about you for having, you know, let's just, let's get this done for a reasonable price and trouble free miles with an engine that delivers something reasonable to you without a bunch of headaches. Right. So this is the worst bike in the world. So, oh yes, tell us why and it's the worst bike in the world because Honda, uh, sorry, Yamaha thought maybe they could try this Honda trick and invent something like the NC seven hundred, and then did not commit. So in the first year for the XC five fifty Vision, by the way, the Vision, right, right from the get go. They fucked it up by calling it the vision. The vision means that it's got to be something on the horizon, maybe, or it's it's some sort of revelation to you or whatever. This bike is never meant or to be those trip. things. Right. This bike was never going to live up to the name vision, 
right? It should have been called the commuter. It could have been called the gentleman. It could have been called the whatever. It could have been called the county. It could have been called the whatever. But it can't be called the vision. Right from the get-go, someone in the marketing at Yamaha did not understand what they were dealing with. And then, Do you think they were just super bummed that the name Ascot was already taken? Yeah, Ascot would have been a fantastic name for this. And Honda kind of got the Ascot wrong by not making it a larger displacement. Now, <sighs> Yamaha continues to fuck it up for the 1983 year by loading it up with all kinds of crazy touring gear. Because Yamaha just decided, oh, if 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 it's not for if it's not for people that want to ride sport bikes it must for, be for people that want to tour right they weren't willing to commit like honda will do honda will come out with a bike and wait for it to find its market now part of that's because honda can afford to do that but this is the worst bike in the world because i have not come across a clearer example of a bike with a really, really solid idea behind it, with a great philosophy, with a great aesthetic that could still be made today, where but the company that produced it just didn't even understand what they were producing, right? I feel like Yamaha has always had a problem where there's only two different... At any given time, Yamaha seems like they can only really go in two directions at one time. They can't have this varied portfolio of or catalog of different styles, of different ideals. Like they've got to go hardcore in like one or two directions. And that's it. And if you're if you end up being the the third third in line in terms of direction, then then fuck you. That's kind of, it almost seems like that might be where this bike ended up. Yeah. And, and to me, it's a shame because what if this whole time, like the SV650, there had been a little less sport oriented version of it that kind of existed all the way from then till now that was just a super affordable, very real world person's you know sort of gentleman's motorcycle and that whole part of the market really disappeared it, all throughout the 60s and the 70s or you know all throughout time in, in the uk up until the death of all their motorcycles there was always sort of a gentleman's ride right and then right. towards the end of the 70s you know just years before this all those brands disappeared and this could have immediately picked up that mantle. And, you know, Honda tried it too with the CX500. And even Suzuki had a little V-twin, but they restyled it as a Katana and then they turbocharged it and all kinds of weird shit. And the idea was lost. And I think it might be because the vision was such a colossal failure. Right. This was a boom time for motorcycles. The seven, the late seventies was 
massive and the early 80s were really good too this was a boom time for motorcycles in the u.s and for something to only run for a year two years like this yamaha just pulled the cord on this one and was like no we're not prepared to run with this and why not i don't really know but if i look at the cx500 and this and anything else that might have been competing in this arena i think this is the best one i really do and yamaha did not understand it and it's it's a little weird because people dog on the nc700 but i'll tell you what i see a lot of them in traffic it may not be the coolest thing in the world but it is a bike that is fitting into people's lives and working, working well. Honda sells quite a few of them. You p- people, motorcycle journalists will make fun of the NC 700 and 750 all day. But the truth is, is it's what a lot of people want. And this was trying to do that in the 80s before that market existed and the problem is is that yamaha dipped their toe into honda's let's invent a category before it exists kind of bike or hey we just see a huge hole in the market let's try to fill it and then wouldn't commit it's just you know motorcycling supposed to be to a certain degree about having fucking balls and what an example of a company not having balls especially when the bike was really good so Mm, the bike itself i like but the story is pathetic because it's easy to see how if they just stuck with it it would have worked because when you when you put up the horsepower numbers and, and everything and the price and all of it and the styling up against all the other bikes in the category, this was clearly the best of those small early 80s V-twins, of which almost every company had one. I Even uh, Kajiva was importing like uh, Ducatis under a different name to try to compete in this little weird arena of small displacement V-twins at the time. It was a it was a it wasn't just a little thing that the big four were trying in America. This is a worldwide thing in the early 80s. For whatever reason, everyone decided to compete in mid displacement V twins and Yamaha could only do it for like two years when they had the best bike. Fuck me. Like, what was their fucking problem? Okay, I've got a weird thread to pull on here. Okay. So this is kind this kind of feels like like Kroger trying to bring sharp cheddar to the US. Okay. So, you know, if you live in the UK or, you know, in Europe in general, you're kind of used to this idea of just always being able to buy some fairly nice cheese and it's oddly very cheap compared to what you would see in an American supermarket. Right. You know, it's fancy, but here in America, if you're going, if you're a cheese person, 
either you're buying multiple pounds of garbage processed stuff or you're paying out the ass for overly sophisticated and not very good cheese like those are kind of your two options oh that's totally my life every every week when i go to the grocery store i'm like okay i now have to drop 14 dollars on like eight ounces of cheese and this is my little this is this is this is the the thing i can't really justify so i i'm gonna buy just this one little thing yeah but you know, when, you know, over in the UK, we would buy like a kilo of sharp cheddar at a time, and it would be like six dollars. Right. Like it was just a normal thing, and that kind of works because that's the that's the acclimated taste of the population. Or you can so get it a works out. fucking wheel or half wheel of brie for ten dollars. Yeah. Right. But it only works if it's done at scale. And you have to believe that people are going to buy into this idea and into this, you know, this this flavor profile, which most people do because it's fucking delicious and it's awesome. But if you're cynical about it and you're thinking, oh, well, we've tried this for six months. It's not working out. We got to, you know, experiment failed. Like, that's kind of where this is fitting. Does that make sense? I don't know. This could be the dumbest line of thinking I've ever gone along, but it it kind of feels. I know know what you're saying, but again, it's this. This is a three thousand dollar bike. Okay. I mean, it's not steak, and it's not. It's you know, it's not high quality steak. It's not, but it's also not high fructose. Like it's. a three thousand dollar bike in nineteen eighty three, I want to say, works out to like an eight thousand dollar bike now, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. So it's not. It, I know what you're saying, but the bike, because like I said, it was. I think it really would have worked if it was marketed as more of like a gentleman's ride. Which yeah. weirdly, the NC seven hundred manages at about the same price point, which is it's not a gentleman's ride because it's premium. It's a gentleman's ride because the bike itself is very civilized. It's low maintenance. It's you're not a biker because you have this bike. It's a little bit of a workhorse, but not really. It's it's a commuter sort of right around town flinging around kind of thing and you know you could ride it in jeans or full gear it doesn't matter it's it's hmm it, it it's following the philosophy of a lot of a lot of triumphs and british bikes of of yesteryear in what was a very updated package for the early 80s there was a definite spot that this could have filled well. And it's not just this bike. Loads of bikes tried to fit this and loads of them failed. But Yamaha only tried it for two years when everyone else tried for the better part of the decade. That's why it's the worst bike. Yamaha couldn't be fucking bothered, even though they had the best bike. How did Yamaha, how did Honda 
managed to take 10 years to get a trike right and then yamaha bails on a standard in two years right it yeah it i know and i'm just saying it's a shame because like i said it's a 550 v twin making 64 horsepower right and 35 foot pounds torque like that's a peppy little gem of an engine that we would be coveting these so well so yeah that uh, it's just it's just a huge missed opportunity i think it's such a great happy little package at a great price at a great time when everyone else's bike sucked i mean cx500s no one gives a shit they tried to make 650 versions of cx500s work as silver wings as a downgrade to the gold wing to try to make the gentleman ride thing work and it was bullshit kajiva tried like the alazura which was a ducati panta that then that didn't work it was too expensive and dumb even though everyone agreed it was a more cost effective more civilized better version of the of the panta um Again, Suzuki's weird baby katana thing. People only care about the CX uh, 650s or 500s if they're the turbo versions. And that's just because they're weird 80s turbo oddities. They don't really care about the bikes themselves that much. People just like to collect weird 80s turbo bikes. And that was the whole betrayal of what the CX 500 should have been anyway. This was the best bike and the truest one to what the market wanted and yamaha just gave up they didn't even try they threw on a weird sort of rip off of a honda line fairing for the second year and then they thought meh you know we'll just do things with x up which i mean is great but we could have had we could have had a whole line of these things all through the years and it could have been a great entry point for a lot of people in the motorcycling. And instead, eh, people just kind of gave up on this. And it's sad. So there we go. I don't know if I've got any other points to make about it. Wait, does this bike share its motor with any other Yamahas? Not that I'm aware of. So they even... so. Hmm. I'm gonna have to look this up because if they there must made... be something else, but not that I'm aware of. Because if they made this motor just for this bike and then bailed on it that quickly, that that makes sense. It, it must share it with something, or maybe this like became the Suzuki uh, SV or something like that. I don't know. No, because that's a that's an L twin. This is a this is a narrow twin. Is this what became the C50 motor? Maybe possibly uh i don't know i'm just guessing and speculating at this point but it, yeah there's it's got to be something there's gonna be more to this story but yeah that's it's weird isn't it because again wouldn't you rather have one of these than a cx 500 i think if you put them side by side yeah i would yeah but not only that but if, when you look at the stats the the torque is only slightly down but it's like it's still like 13 more horsepower than a w650 is and to rev to 10,000 i mean it's 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 almost an enthusiast bike it's not but it's almost right yeah there's more there than you would think 
I mean, it depends how much the shaft drive is. 57 miles per gallon, under 500 pounds. Like, the numbers are all there for this to be a total winner. But there we yeah. go. Yeah, they just wouldn't commit. Especially for the year. Like, those are really good numbers. I know. I know. That's, yeah, that's... <laughs> What's it's, going on? What's going on? Right. Oh, I think Yamaha just didn't understand the game they were playing. So, okay. We ready to move on to the next segment? Uh, Yeah, but we should take a break. Okay. And now for the long form discussion portion of this episode is Honda has a reputation for being boring undeserved so i was thinking about this there's plenty of super exciting things happening with motorcycles as much as i don't like polaris indian it is exciting to have competition for cruisers in america i will admit that that's a great thing beyond that uh who would have thought that if you just went back in time 20 years ago, there would be massive cults for companies like KTM and BMW in the United States for the weird, not not like the bikes they were even classically known for, the weird, super crazy shit they're making now. Who would have thought that the Japanese bikes would have become sort of these like stately old guard kind of marks, right? And then Honda, for whatever reason, still has this sort of cheery, we're Honda, milk toast, missionary position sex kind of, you know, recognition to their brand. And I thought, well, but there's so many crazy Hondas from, you know, from the past. You name well, yeah, it. Tell, me, tell me another manufacturer. That put a hydro trans, uh, a hydrostatic transmission on a motorcycle, right? And that's not even that weird for Honda. And now I'm thinking, but okay, you can say Honda did all these weird things, but they spread them out over time. But I, I was thinking about Honda's current lineup, and I was thinking about this because of the ADV scooter and the CT125, and I thought. No other company would have the balls to put those out right now. And then I thought about the rest of Honda's lineup, and I thought, I think Honda's current lineup, I argue, is not just the weirdest and the best lineup that Honda's ever had, and maybe the most exciting lineup. I argue it might be the weirdest, best, and most exciting lineup that any motorcycle manufacturer in history has ever had. Honda just announced a 150 ADV scooter. Are you fucking kidding me? What kind of world are we living in? Like, you want to say boring? Listen, that may not be 
like the biggest seller, craziest thing, what everyone was competing for, grab all the headlines kind of motorcycle. But you can't tell me that's boring. That's fucking weird. Okay. And then they're bringing yeah. back the well, actually 125 well, Weird. Yeah. Well, also, what other company besides Aprilia is making a fully fared 1200cc V4 superbike? Uh, is? No, no, no. The, the CPR 1000 RR is still an inline four, isn't it? No, the VFR 1200. Oh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's so many ridiculous bikes, you can just gloss over the VFR 1200. <laughs> That's how insane Honda's lineup is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's so weird. Yeah. So I was saying, you know, like the. Also, they have thing. a V4 1200cc dual clutch motorcycle. Yeah. It wasn't the VFR. The first bike that they did, no, yeah, yeah, the VFR 1200, that was the first bike they did the dual clutch on, like, I I don't think so, I thought thought it was the, um, I I thought that was the no, I think back in, like, 2008, they did a dual clutch version of that to not much fanfare, I could be wrong, maybe it was 2012, somewhere in there around the turn of the decade they they did a dual clutch to not a lot of fanfare but whatever i have to look it up but i was saying like you know the gold wing right now okay they you know it, it seems like not much of a story but let's not forget that since 1975 honda has had the most technologically advanced motorcycle ever updating it almost every year since 1975 you can say well maybe it's not that exciting because it's always been but fuck you they've maintained that title of having the best most advanced bike on the market clearly since 1975 that's a big deal and then the cbr 1000 rr dash r a return to bonkers right you can't tell yeah. me this is uh, this is this is not an exciting company an exciting lineup. Let's talk about the Grom reinventing what the small displacement bike is, right? 125s have not been a thing outside of Southeast Asia since the late 50s in Britain. And Honda just went, "Hold my beer." Like while everyone else is trying to make a better 600, we're going to bring back 125s. Like, holy fuck. Like, really? Honda's a boring company? Fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, for our next trick, everyone else is uh, seemingly ahead of us in the ADV game. Oh, let's just pull this little magic trick out of our hat. Here's a new Africa twin that immediately lands in the middle of the competition. Price-wise, performance-wise, displacement-wise, power-wise, just goes right to the middle and becomes a viable option for everybody out of nowhere. Not, uh, not after decades 
of platform development or anything. Just boom. Honda takes its dick out of its pants and goes, here we are. I think there's kind of two reasons why it has the reputation that it does. I think the first one is the kind of weird Honda philosophy of we'll create a best in class bike and then we won't touch it for like eight years until everybody else has surpassed us and then we'll redo it. You know, look at the, the note, the CBR 1000 RR dash R, you know, how long was Honda dragging their feet on that? And then they come out with this insane bike. And they do that kind of all over the place with all of their different bikes. Well, except for the the Goldwing. But yeah. that's kind of how they've they've that's kind of been their their iterative style is they just wait for it to fall off and then completely revamp it and go nuts with it. Well, on a case by case basis, that sounds very boring in milk toast, except that at any given moment, they have about 18 of these going. So without a lot of fanfare, they're just quietly blowing people's minds every year because that's true. But now the other elements of this is that if you're focused on in a, um, if you're focused in a single niche of motorcycles, then occasionally Honda will release something crazy. But if you look at, you know, the 600, if you look at the super sport market, or if you look at the superbike market, you've got companies like Kawasaki and Yamaha and Suzuki that are saying, hey, every two years, we're going to totally redesign and update the bike. And Honda's just like, yeah, we're good. We didn't update five years ago. Why would we change anything? So they kind of keep slipping behind. And in something that's, you know, iterative and very competitive year by year, especially, you know, for racing, then it seems like they just don't give a fuck. But I think if you look at the broader market and if you look at all the different models, then that's clearly not the case. Well, I argue that the most boring lineup is Suzuki. And whilst the 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 GSXR 600 and 1000 are arguably exciting bikes and at the head of their categories, That's really the only trick that the company's got. I mean, the V-Strom's a gem, but it's a gem because of outside factors. It's, it's Suzuki's best offering, and it just happens to land in a position in the market opposed to other things that makes it an exceptional value, right? Right. But, it, but none of the cruisers are especially compelling. Uh, they're not especially great value. They're not especially powerful. They're not especially stylish. All of Suzuki's bikes that are not the GSXR models, just the GSX, GX, those bikes, the S and Fs, they're just sort of blah in the middle. 
they they don't even they don't even have the audacity to look crazy like Kawasaki's bikes do, and it's just I don't know the the GSX one thousand F does look like a really angry owl. <laughs> There's that, but in general they're just kind of riding out the coattails of uh of the the hayabusa where at this point the b king is a more exciting bike than the hayabusa right uh yeah to a degree i, I would rather have a b king than a busa at this point because at least the b king's like the weird anime busa right yeah it's yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Part of me will always love the Bee King. I was one of those people that was so stoked. It was like, are they really going to make it? And I was like, oh shit, they did, right? That's the Suzuki I love. And I think about that with Yamaha as well. Yamaha definitely has some more, has more, um, what's it? More things in the fire. What do you call it? But anyway, whatever the saying is. And uh, they're doing more with the adventure stuff. And I think they've got more things going on with scooters and that kind of stuff. And I mean, the star line, I'm not that big on, but let's not forget the, uh, the V max is still a crazy ass bike and they still make that, you know, and the R one, the R six. Okay, cool. But they're, they, they had, they've, they've been mixing things up with the, uh, the MT line and and all of that but well here here's nothing, another angle. nothing like honda with a like because i said they have that 150 adv scooter you know they've got a 700 version of that shit as well that they haven't released over here yet that's fucking weird that is not boring a 700 scooter that's adv that's weirder than the bergman okay that's <laughs> true right well, well, let's um to to kind of emphasize the point. I feel like we can actually throw some shade at some other companies as well. Which is if you look at Ducati and Triumph, which are probably the two um import brands that are doing the best in the United States right now. Well, certainly in Denver they are. If you look at what they're offering, they really have three or four motors and you know two of those make up 90 percent of their sales yeah but in reality if you're looking at ducati and triumph i would not be shocked if 40 percent of their revenue in the u.s was t-shirts and buffs and scarves and hats oh yeah well, actually they'd make no apologies about it they're they're wide out in the open about all the all the social media they do just to promote their brands as clothing lines they they're they're not even they're not even weird about it yeah which is and you know i don't think that's entirely a terrible thing and i think in a way that's that's a reason to that's something that you know i think even you and i have thrown shade at harley for that for quite a while you know in the past but, you know, it's when you really look at what everybody is doing, 
one, it's it's not overall a terrible thing, but then you can't be super into these bikes and then throw shade at Han. Look, if every hipster $18 at a time overpaying for clothing subsidizes us buying you know imported motorcycles I'll t- <laughs> i will take it it's okay so yeah yeah let's think about uh um uh, triumphs offerings that's probably more middle of the road because we got crazy shit like the rocket three we i would not be have- shocked if they've sold less than like 200 of those in the u.s Oh yeah, of course. But the but the but the but the it remains that's an available model which you can purchase. And you can purchase it as the regular model or the S model or whatever. And then they even have like a super premium works package of it you can buy and it's there and it's exciting and it's cool and it's the kind of bonkers weirdo stuff that makes the motorcycling world great. I don't think I ever want to own a Rocket 3 but God damn, am I happy that it exists. Right. Right. And eh, the, the whole Daytona six, seven, five, seven, six, five thing is in limbo. Are they going to sell enough of those? Are there, you know, how long is that model going to be around? I don't know. But in the meantime, the street triple, Hey, awesome fun, but they don't, but again, it's still, of course, all the Bonnevilles and, and that, but that's the scope of what Triumph is doing. Of course, yeah, there's the ADV bike, the Tiger, and everything, but it's not weird like Honda, where Honda also has like all of those in three to five hundred cc versions as well, right? And a scooter version. And a scooter version and an ultra touring version right i i argue that right now honda is being conservative because of the economic climate climate and still has the most exciting lineup in the history of motorcycles i think that's probably true yeah I, honda still sells the fury Honda still sells an 1800cc 45 degree V twin completely raked out stock. Why? And they sell it in three trims. There's like the Fury and the Interstate and the whatever else they call it. They Why? only well the the only reason they sell it is because um well, people making custom choppers buy them and then go. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. That, that's the only reason. <laughs> that's why they sell it with all the front controls having, you know, five inches of slack in the line, yeah. <laughs> just hanging off the motorcycle in the, in the marketing photos, because it's like, Hey, look, when you fuck this bike up, you, you don't even have to swap the harness out. It's all good. Yeah, whatever weird bodywork fairing you're going to put on this or whatever. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, do you think when you buy a Honda Fury, like underneath the seat, there's like five different sizes of heat shrinks? I would hope so. <laughs> 
Yeah, but who else is selling a stock raked out chopper? You're telling me that Honda is boring? No. Well, technically BMW will be soon. Oh, yeah, because, well, didn't BMW just release quietly another version of the R18? I saw like three different trims for it and three different styles. Um, I just saw a whole bunch of videos come out about it. It's gotten like even more boring. I I'm I can't get excited about it. I don't. I mean, oh, this is gonna turn into a weird tangent, but you know, I I can see what they're going for. In a weird way, they're doing this whole thing where. I mean, I have no excitement for it personally, but I can see the appeal that a lot of people will have for it, where it's kind of going back to when it's it's almost like scaling up the glory days of classic BMW. Oh, yes, exactly what it's doing. And then that's a great thing to try to do. I think they've compromised it too much. I think they could get away with making it even more expensive and do less compromises. Probably. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing for them to do, but I totally get what they're going for. Yeah, and I'm glad that it exists. Well, I'm glad that it exists, but for me, it's lost all the magic now. Again, getting back to our our main topic here of how weird Honda is. I just went to the Honda Power Sports website and I didn't even realize this, but taking up the front page is the new ADV 150 scooter. Uh, oh really it's it yeah when you go to honda like powersports.honda.com it is the first thing like it is ahead of the Goldwing. it is ahead of the cbr 1000 rr-r it is ahead of it is ahead of the four by fours it's ahead of everything oh shit it is You can't tell me this is a boring company. Is it exactly what everyone wants it to be at any given moment? No, but you can't tell me Honda isn't weird. Oh, I love this company so much. I, you know, and at this time, you know, let's not forget that Honda is still super competitive with all their with all their dirt bikes and off road stuff. We hardly ever talk about that. This uh, is a scooter with five inches of front travel. <laughs> it's got show of forks on it. It's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to buy one, but I am in love with the ADV 150 or whatever it's called. It's so weird. It's so weird. We are going to be talking about this thing for decades. This is just the strangest thing ever. Like, I, I kind of want to buy one just in case, like, Honda dumps this in four years and they become collectible. It's a very real possibility, right? Yeah. I'm wondering, is this just like a bored out 
uh, Grom motor? I think so. I think it's, you know, I don't know for certain. I can't, I can't answer that actually. Cause it is a one fifty. Someone was, I, mm, yeah, I, I believe that the platform I heard somewhere that it's like the, the frame is based on the Forza. But that could be wrong. It may be a scaled down Forza motor is what it might be. No, not the Forza. Honda makes a 150 motor for a platform similar to this already, and I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I'm going to guess this was an existing motor from Honda, and I'll I'll come up with the scooter name in a minute. It's not the Forza. Hmm. If you just Google 150 Honda scooter, you'll come up with it pretty quick, I'm sure. Uh, but the the idea to put the crazy trap wait i'm on the honda website already what the pcx 150 that's the motor it is so this is Uh, essentially a pcx uh and i think it's the pcx frame and all of that which is very similar to the forza but they have just really done up the suspension is what it is because the PCX is very Forza looking these days. I don't know if you've checked them out, but I'm it, it, I, this. This is basically a Honda PCX with better suspension, which makes it sound a lot less exciting. But just to style it this way and make it a big splash and to push it forward on on all of their marketing is so bizarre, right? I want to see somebody, I want to see a YouTube video of somebody like trying to haul a deer out of the woods on the back of one of these. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, people will, someone will. So yeah, there's, I can keep coming up with weird things that Honda is doing. Um, so, you know, I said like the Grom, they just, Honda just for fun and much to their credit, really reinvented the whole small displacement thing and bringing back the super cub and the monkey biker were genius moves, but really the genius move was the Grom itself. Who thought that the Grom was going to be such a thing? We're getting close to what? Seven years into the Grom now uh at least six yeah and like it's just going stronger than ever wait no i take that back probably like four years now oh i think four or five years i think it's more than that i think the grom's at least six years old but um it's it's just a ubiquitous thing now like it's it's gone from honda's weird little play thing to everyone's got a copycat Honda yeah. Well, also, if you look at like find the, the category, like when the Grom first came out, everyone was like, "Why even bother? What the fuck are you selling this? This is so dumb." And then you know, people would drag their wives and their girlfriends to a motor show, and then they'd be like, "Hey, we'll try this one out. Sit on this bike. See what you think." You know, somebody who was just totally unimpressed with the with the entire prospect of going to a show, and they're like. Oh, I could do this. This is cool. This is fun. This is a cute little bike. And then that guy got on the bike and he was like, you know what? I could do this too. This is kind of fun. 
this is a little bit silly. And then all of a sudden, everybody was all about it. Yeah. It's it's weird. You look through every every category though here on their website and there's just something i honda being well ahead of the curve not giving up on their 600 but trying to redefine the 650 class 650 class bikes 10 15 years ago were a joke and now the 650 ninja has morphed into something that we're looking at much more seriously Right. They've gone from low compression budget bikes to, oh, let's take the concept of a 650 and tone it down. Let's end the arms race. And well, yes and no, because then it said then we just said, let's turn it into a twins class. As opposed to an inline four. Right. But look at Honda's 650 offering. It's still an inline four, but it's a much more civilized one. And it's kind of well honda's in a weird place and this is kind of this is a weird angle but you know the the cbr 650r is almost too premium for the class but their website still features the f and the r like honda's trying to feel it out and really figure out where it's gonna go right I mean, but another angle that I would pose, you know, to the the overall topic discussion is not only does Honda have all these crazy different bikes that have fit into all these awesome little subcultures, as well as had their fair share of the flagships at various times, but Honda has way more failures than anybody else. Honda is more willing to experiment than anybody else is. Well, it's like the first thing you told me about the tech industry is when you get into a certain group of people where the average intelligence raises a certain amount, the philosophy becomes, oh, don't avoid failure. Run towards it. If you're going to fail, fail fast. So you can move on to the next thing. Yeah. And Honda's really the only manufacturer that's operating on that level that I'm aware of. Uh yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. I I mean I mean this whole segment's a this whole segment's this huge love letter to Honda, I know. But I think people should pay attention because they still lead sales. They still crush worldwide. And there's a reason. And you want to say they're boring? I don't know. Take something like the CB1000R. Or, yeah, the CB1000R. This weird Neo Sports Cafe thing that they call it, right? It's Oh, really? You're yeah. going to go that direction? Because that that's the those are the bikes that I am the least impressed with out of Honda. Well, me too. But... There are plenty of people that this is exactly what they want, or they look at it and it doesn't look as good as a picture of, let's say, like a Z900 RS. But when you write or it SSR in 900, right? But when you write it in person and you see it in person, this is totally the better one. 
I don't know. Well, it is part of it depends on what you think about the styling. But well, I think I think all the styling is a little bit weird in that I think actually of all of those bikes, I would actually if if, if the styling element was the most important thing to me, I would go with the XSR 700. Yeah, you're really big on that one. I'd still go with the the triple motor on the 900 if I was going to do one of those, but whatever. The point is, is no, that, I'm saying if the styling was the only element you were concerned with. Oh, just the style. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've you brought up that point before. I don't know. I the 900 looks pretty good too. I don't think the the style scales up. Maybe not. It doesn't matter though. That I, you and I are both completely aware that you can't go you can't relive the past yeah and a lot of people are still trying to relive the past and they will stubbornly try to relive the past and the cb1000r is stubbornly trying to relive the past for where honda is pretending to try to relive the the past just to cater to some people because they can afford to this is something i've thought of i've i've come up with a really good test to somebody who already has a motorcycle, who has like a fairly modern fuel injected motorcycle, and they want to know if they should, they want to find out, you know, like, should they go back and go buy a classic bike to fix it up? Uh, I have a simple test that somebody can do very cheaply to figure out if they should do it or not. And that is, they oh. need to get their hands on. A Nokia thirty three ten, or similar modern dumb phone that's text only, no data, and just say, "Can you live with that for two weeks?" And does it drive you insane? Oh, I was going to say, just buy a nineties Geo Metro. It'll cost you eight hundred dollars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, my plan works out for like ten dollars, but yes, right. Um, <laughs> but but really, like a '90s Geo Metro, there's not a lot going on there that wasn't going on in the '70s, right? You want to relive like the past, get a Geo Metro, and you know, for the time, they're really reliable. But I'll tell you what, you get a Geo Metro today. It's not going to be that long until you run into some problems. And and then just see if you want to do that with your motorcycle as well. Right. Like I'm having loads of fun with my Goldwing, but I am very aware that it's a ticking time bomb. Yeah. I'm riding it a lot. I've already put a thousand miles on it, but it's a ticking time bomb. I am furiously trying to maintenance everything I can on it. I am spending loads of time working on it, just getting to everything, just to make sure it stays running well, that I can do a road trip with it this summer. I, I, I spend as much time working on it as I do riding it. Like, make no mistake. And yeah. That's just the reality of it. And, you know, I have a little bit of time. So right now, so I can do that. But well, it's like um, it's like the uh, the CB 350 that dad sold off to that college kid for like 300 bucks. It was like. 
you know, if you were if you're a betting man, what's the over, you know, what's the over under on that bike running right now? Oh, oh, I would bet so much money. <laughs> Six to one. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> in, 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 in an optimistic world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so so anyway, back to this point that Honda has this undeserved boring reputation right now why is it when we're convinced that honda has done nothing but just have new weird exciting models reinvent categories invent categories we didn't exist that it came to this point and i think you touched on it when you talked about honda's deal where they totally revamp something and then they let it sit for a few years or 10 years or 20 years before they update it. Is that well, where not 20 come- years, but well, not 20, but yeah, is it, that where well, it comes from? At, I think so. If you look at the kinds of people who really rag on Honda, it's people who own, you know, DRZ 400s. It's people who own WR 450Fs. It's, people who own r6s and r1s it's people who own i don't know uh no it's it's rarely those kinds of people it's i bet it really falls into people who own category killers yes i think it's it's like three or four camps that really spread that idea well, they spread the idea, but other people buy into it. And I well, don't Yes, because we live this is this is how the modern era works. This is how social media works. This is how Facebook and Reddit work. This is this is how Twitter works. We the the conversation is no longer dominated by the overall consensus of the population. It's driven by a very select few people. Yeah. I well, I'm gonna take this opportunity to blame well, also journalists. journalists. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Moto journalists are completely they're very culpable in in all of this. Yeah. The kind of person that thinks that the fireblade is boring. Yeah. Uh, even the old one, like the not the new the new works model, like the old one how are you going to tell me 160 horsepower isn't enough for the street for an exciting daily ride? But flash back in time, four years, and people were saying that. You know, not even four years. And I'm going to call out another podcaster. Um, uh, what's his face from uh, before it was Brap Talk, but. Um, it, uh, you know, like like just a couple months before two enthusiasts um, uh, quit, um, whatever his name is, I can't remember right now because I'm many beers in, called the CBR 1000 the most exciting 600 on the market because he thought the horsepower was lackluster. Like even like forget traditional moto journalists, even newer fake journalists slash podcasters are are thinking that way and how jaded are you i'm gonna give a little bit of credit here and say that in 
and say that, you know, besides the misfits. The so mo- is Jensen I- Beeler that said that? Hold on. Not that I think all of Jensen Beeler's opinions are bullshit, by the way. He's a totally wor- worthy guy in the community in, in whatever. My point was to say that even people that we listen to that are sort of peers or whatever fall victim to this line of thinking. Sorry, go back to Swigs. No, that's a very good way to put it. Wait, did that click just go on the track? I don't know. Uh, well, I'll start over. Uh, that's actually a very good way to put it, which is that it it's not about an individual person or a, a set subculture. It's an overall culture that's kind of come about. And to anyone who said something really dumb, especially, you know, three or four years ago, because even though that even though podcasting was established, then it's still it still wasn't really caught on as the culture that it is now and the phenomenon that it is now. That. I can understand that you're really kind of drafting more of a modal moto journalist culture onto what you're doing at that point. So I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary to call out any individual for it, but to just recognize the broader culture that caused the issue to begin with. Yeah. So maybe a part of it is sort of this um this porn ruined attitude as well. Whereas, yes. like you said, everything's got to be bigger and better and more exciting and more flashy and more aggressive every year. Well, at a certain point, it does have to stabilize whether you like it or not. I think it's easy to argue that right now, Kawasaki has about the most aggressive I I mean, without being just outright pornographic and phallic, I don't know if Kawasaki styling can be more aggressive. It's true. Although I really like their styling right now. I feel really brought it to another level. I love it. Even on like the, um, the Ninja, the 1000 SX. I really like it. The 1000 SX is toned down. The Z line and the Z line, like the Z. Oh no, I do. That's I love. I love the ninjas. I, I. Well, I will say I do not like the Z line. I don't like any of the naked bikes, but the Z line, I'm kind of down for. Well, I, I, I understand that it's great that there are bikes that younger people love that old people are put off by. Because we always need that. I yeah. understand. Like I've said this from about the Z line from the beginning. I don't like it. I recognize that it's doing the best job at what it is. Well, this is also I've why never not of, said that. This is also why one of the the scoring categories for the Posuzuku challenge is which bike does Wiggins' dad hate the most? Exactly. Right. Yeah. I have to recognize that I hate the ZH2, but I can't, I will, you have never heard me say, and you will never hear me say in the future that it's a necessarily a bad design. 
I've said I hate it. It's probably the kinds of things that we need. We need motorcycles that old people hate because that's going to make motorcycles cool again. Yeah. At a certain point, you do have to recognize that you're out of touch. With right. Yeah. And I'm are. totally willing to admit that. I have a 78 Goldwing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with bags and a Vetter fairing. Right. <laughs> and I'm into it. <laughs> and then, yeah. So, again, moving it back uh, towards this, this thing of, uh, why why do we find certain lineups exciting or not when you know we have so much choice in front of us i think honda Honda has this oh sorry there's also this other angle of um you know we're kind of looking at from a different perspective you know if you're in one of these subcultures where you're just about going to the track with your particular class of bike whether you're into super sport racing or you're just club racing with your 650 twin and you're in this narrow band of a subculture, then you might say, well, yeah, no, Honda doesn't even have something in this class or Honda doesn't have the best in this class. I'm going to go for a Kawasaki or I'm going to go for a Suzuki or I'm going to go for a Yamaha because that's the best within this very narrow band of motorcycles. And when you look at kind of what dominates motorcycle culture in terms of racing or adventure biking or a few, you know, especially racing with the super sport and the super bike categories, in terms of those class killers, Honda's a little bit left out. And as a result, you know, the culture swings that way. And those narrow cultures end up dominating the overall uh, culture. So it only really makes sense if you just back out and look at the whole industry holistically. That you realize, oh, Honda's got their fingers in so many pies. Right. Yeah, there's nothing where they don't compete at at least the middle, if not the top end. And then again, like this is why I think Honda goes over and above. And this is the part that makes it the most exciting lineup that's ever been is they're competing in things that just don't exist anywhere else. Well, who thought there would be a 150cc adventure scooter market? Well, or <laughs> or just, you know, like I said, the Grom and bringing back the Super Cub and the Monkey. And then on top of that, these things like the, the 450L and the 650L that they've just kind of like not many people are doing that kind of stuff. Although then, I am kind of hoping that we get a corrections email and we find out that there's this super hardcore thriving scooter adventure market. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But let's also not forget about the fucking ruckus where in the last decade, Honda has redefined what the 50 CC scooter is. Like, how did that fucking pass us all by? 
how are you going to tell? And it's still the same ruckus that it ever was, right? How are you going to yeah. tell me this is not the craziest, most diverse lineup of motorcycles the planet's ever seen and that the company is boring? I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. It's a weird lineup, if anything, because it's just so frenetic, right? I think that's the only word I can yeah. use. I'm also kind of just a little bit disappointed because they don't show things like um, like the Honda winner at AIM or at, right. uh, they, they don't show that off at any of their shows in the US because they don't sell it here. Could you imagine at Coda if they just let people suit up in uh kind of one size fits all leathers and uh and just race Honda winners around the go-kart track. Oh, that'd be so sweet. How many Honda winners would they sell if they let people do that? I'd be so into <laughs> it. Anyway, um what kind of time are we at here? Uh, uh getting, so we're at 150, so probably like a hundred and uh an hour twenty. You're uh, like two hours probably of actual No, I mean, like we're pretty good. I'm I think sorry. we're at an hour and forty. I think we're doing pretty good. Um so I think it's time that we get to some emails. There's not a huge amount, but there's a few. Do you want to bring some of those up? So we just had the corrections email. And then we had uh, one more from Peter. Okay. And he says, and this is uh, on the la uh, response to the last episode, and he says, Hello, Swiggy and MotoGP. Thank you for putting my name first. Let's keep that going. Uh, listening to the SR400 180-degree session, I thought I'd write to mention the bike's popularity for a couple of years in the Australian cafe racer scene. There was a time when the Facebook pages were flooded with people buying new SR400s or old SR500s and then throwing down some serious cash. A lot of the early enthusiasts were uh, uh, the early enthusiasts were on restricted licenses under our learner approved motorcycle system and were choosing between elderly commuter rice burners or new SR400s. The W650, which should have been top of the pops, but at seven, at 675 cc's, it's outside the LAMS limit that applies in most states. Oh, this is Australia, so it's most definitely pronounced the lambs. Oh, yeah. Um, after a couple of years, or unbelievable... After a couple years of unbelievably expensive SR builds, including some mighty fine Japanese aluminum fuel tanks, massive side, uh, flat side carbs, flat slide clock... Jesus Christ. I'm drunk and I don't have my glasses. Yeah, we we were remiss in not saying this is a final return to drunk Swiggy reads the emails. We've been dry for so long. Yeah. I'm out of practice. You really uh, are. <laughs> okay. 
After a couple of years of unbelievably expensive SR builds, including some mighty fine Japanese aluminum flat uh, fuel tanks, massive flat slide carbs for pre-injection SR models, brake and suspension updates, the bulk of riders got their open licenses suddenly and suddenly the market is flooded with massively overpriced but very tasty SRs. People moved on to Triumph Twins of various vintages, the XSR 900, and plenty of airheads. And choppers and bobbers got popular, especially shovels and early Evos. The SR 400s are off the local markets now, but there's a 20-year second-hand supply out there for anyone who wants a modded one. The SR400s are off the local... Er, blah, blah. Wait a sec. So I need to go old man and blow this text up massively. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I you can't know, find my... <laughs> As as soon as I thought, oh, this is our first drug swiggy reads the emails in a while, I thought, yeah, this is gonna get good. I didn't know it was gonna get this good. <laughs> you are blowing it would, it the text. <laughs> I can't find my glasses, okay? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you made so many mistakes. I see beyond that, like three emails here that you just haven't seen because you're drunk. And all right, well, let me finish this one. And okay, we'll okay. So he says, I'm not nostalgic for a kickstart. I had enough of that with my 100cc and 250cc smokers when I was a learner, but I do love watching the ladies kick over the SRs. They are all technique where the guys are usually brute forcing, and when the girls are wearing their converse, the amount of foot flex at the bottom of the stroke is ballet level. Sounds a little bit like a foot fetish, but we'll... Uh... Hey, we are into plenty of fetishy weird shit. Who are we to judge? We are no one to judge. Um, On the BMW GS discussion, one point to consider around the popularity of ADV bikes is a leg room. Low seat height seems to a primary design design... That's what it says. It's not a... <laughs> Super swingy would have adjusted, but okay. <laughs> Shut up. Um, low seat height seems to be a primary design drive these days, and with mid-mounts, so many bikes would have your knees up higher than your hips. Riding a BMW R100R for like 25 years might mean my leg muscles, muscles and tendons have lost their flexibility, but I can't take sports or, or Harley street rod mid mounts with the low seats. I'd take a versus 650 around Australia anytime. Although after modding my Triumph street twin with T120 pegs and comfort seat, it's pretty good. Cheers, Peter. And he's got an afternoon here that says, uh, Triumph street twin is what he's riding and he just traded it for the 48 special for a sport glide because Harley Davidson were offering mad deals and then the lockdown happened which is brutal 
I can't imagine having just bought a bike right before the lockdown. It's got to be the most depressing thing I've ever heard. Yeah, what kind of idiot would have done that? (sighs) Somebody who is totally cool with telling everyone to fuck off and breaking the rules. Well, that's the, yeah, that is me. Um, there you go. Well, so no, um, the, the joke was on me. I was saying I bought a bike to flip and now I'm stuck with it for at least a year and a half until the economy recovers. <laughs> like I didn't just make an investment in a new bike. I made an investment in a bike. I was looking to short term flip. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, you got to find somebody who's put all you. You got to find somebody who doesn't have a four hundred one k. Who just you got to find a Ron Swanson, whose entire wealth is just in gold bars that are buried in the woods. Well, Dad, Dad made a good point to me. He said, "If I'm looking to sell it, I could still, I could still sell it this summer." And he said, "The kind of person that would buy it anyway." is most likely someone retired or close to retirement that just wants it because it's a really nice, clean, old gold wing. And they may be largely unaffected by all of this anyway. And he could be right. If they've already already been paid out of their 401k, then yes. Right. But anyone who has not withdrawn from their 401k, not a fucking chance. I am so afraid to look at what my 401k is doing right now. I'm just It doesn't matter. <laughs> I know, but anyway. Uh so whilst I think we're recording, we got another email from Guy. If you want to refresh your browser and read that one. Oh shit, we did, yes. Uh okay. So Guy says, Hello, Nokomoto. I would have preferred Swiggy, but that'll work. Uh, I am a repeat writer. First, thank you for occasionally reintroducing the subject slash topic as the conversation meanders. It really helps to establish context, at least for me. He sent us an email like a year and a half ago asking that we do that. Oh, this is the, the yeah. Tech guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I also sent us stuff about Knight Riders. Guy, guy has emailed us at least three times to my memory while I'm drunk right now. Maybe more. Mm-hmm. And he says, continue on. Secondly, I know the topic really was bikes you have changed your mind on, but morphed into an extensive chat about adventure bikes. And Harley. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know why it takes a leader bike for adventure riding. Uh, short answer, it doesn't. Most adventure guys are basically cosplay. Any bike would do. The bike you were discussing, the bikes you were discussing are basically expensive touring bikes with some grand clearance. Just on weight, they are not serious off-road bikes. And bless Swiggy for mentioning they cannot be repaired in remote places. Uh... If anyone made that point, it was definitely me, although I can't recall. Uh, If you ever ride down to Baja, you will see a lot of XR650L and KLR650s, which are also not serious dirt bikes, but very reasonable and will not cost as much as a Goldwing. And for what it's worth, 
I brought the dragon to multiple orgasms, but I'm not telling you how. I think it wants to move in with me. Thank you, Guy. Guy fucking (laughs) gets it. All right? (laughs) Guy gets it. That's all I'm going to say. No, it's me. It's not all I'm going to say. So uh, on this one, uh, you know, why does it take leader bikes? So I was never one of those guys that yelled from the mountaintops that big bikes are impractical for ADV. Oh, I was. Uh, Yes. I I was more one of those guys that was yelling about how scramblers weren't scramblers. And I had to make my peace with it. And and at the same time, made my peace with big leader plus adventure bikes. They're kind of like Chevy Suburbans. They're just kind of these great big lumbering all in one things. Like you can rig a Chevy Suburban to do off-roady things. It's not going to be the best, but it does it. It's, it's, you know, when we were talking about your, your do it all bikes, we said, well, the GS 1200 is that, that top of the mountain battleship approach to the problem. Okay. Here's, here's the issue. I will lay out the issue for you right now, which is the fact that the motorcycle industry has not evolved like the bicycle industry has. The motorcycle industry is too much tied to the car industry and tied to prestige with size and features and weight and horsepower whereas something like the bicycle industry will sell you a bike that costs four to five thousand dollars more because it weighs 250 grams less because that's what peak performance is in the consumer market so as long as the engine can go bigger and you don't expect the consumer to operate the bike like a professional will, then it's always going to go and grow towards bigger and bigger, especially with an aging population of the people, an aging population that holds most of the wealth that can afford to buy your product. It's just going to keep going up and up in size and horsepower and features rather than horsepower to weight ratio plus suspension performance and handling it's always just going to keep driving in that direction i have another theory it's completely compatible with your theory it plays into it in fact that there's a lot of guys and women but mostly guys let's be honest that were into leader bikes in 2003 2004 or 1997 and they still want to have fast powerful bikes but they have a huge beer gut now and back problems oh and they don't want to they don't want to have a tank that'll just press their gear but their their beer gut into their spines right and and, and they they cut they were it. they were riding downtown on their leader bike and they turned and they caught a reflection of how they look as an old fat guy on a leader bike 
and they thought, mm, I've got to trade it in for something upright. Yeah. I think that's a lot of it as well. So you end up with adventure bikes that have almost sport bike performance for that crowd. I think that's also, yeah, that, that kind of fits in. Yeah, It's fine. It's okay. It's, but let's be realistic. So yeah, you're right. You don't need anything bigger than a five or 600 for adventure riding. Of course you don't. You're not doing crazy speeds when you're really adventure, when you're really getting into the shiggy, you don't need, you're not doing big speeds. You don't need big engines. Of course not. Well, but, also if you look at like, say, you know, doing the Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman long way round trip. Do you need a six to 700 pound bike to do that trip? Well, of no, course not. and in every place where it really gets dicey, the extra weight is a huge liability. Yeah. Yeah. We're, but, we're retreading old territory here. Yeah. But that you can't sell those bikes for $20,000. Right. Yeah. It's, it's where it's not just what is the best bike. It's also where, where, where profit and revenue happens. And that, that ties it more to the guys that can't ride sport bikes anymore. They, they, they want these, these upright adventure bikes because it's an aesthetic that they can still feel cool about, but you know, it, 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 it affords the beer gut a little better. So, um, there's also, also why, uh, riding gear, adventure riding gear has gotten a lot baggier. Yes. Now we've got another email here, which is important for me to read. And I don't think you got, because it was sent to MotoGP at nokomotopodcast.com. And this well, is from, you, listener. <laughs> Well, this is from someone uh, kind of important to my motorcycling past. This is from our friend, or my friend, I think you've met him, Ian, Ian Chidley. He lives in Florida now, but used to live with us in Indiana. And I haven't seen him for ages, but Dr. Mike told him he should listen to the show, and he started listening. And he wrote in to say, hey, Short time listener, first time emailer, and now long time listener, second time emailer. He's talking about a Honda CBF concept that reminded him of the old CB350s. Now, it's important to note here that me, um, the my old CB350 that I've talked about many times on the show, when I bought that or went to buy that, Ian and I went on the same day to buy CB350s from the same dude off Craigslist. Now, Ian's was complete and running, and mine was in fucking boxes. But, but nonetheless, we went and bought them on the same day. And then uh, Ian gave his, actually, to Dr. Mike's dad when he moved to Florida. But he just kind of wrote in to say, hey, check out this Honda CBF concept. Wouldn't it be cool if, uh, you know, if they made this? And I don't know if you've uh, seen this bike. Um, 
but it basically looks like a Honda CB 900 F it's, it's really, if anything, Honda taking the CB 1000 R concept and actually making it not Neo retro, just more nineties than anything else. So in a way, Honda already makes this bike. Are you looking at the picture? Uh, like, no. Oh, you know there is a chat in this app we're using where that you can just send me a link to it. Um, yes, I could do that. Or you could just Google Honda CBF concept. Because <laughs> that would be quicker. Because I could keep talking as you bring it up, and then you know come in with an interesting point. But the the point is, is that it's basically a Honda CB nine hundred F is what this bike is. It's almost completely indistinguishable. It's it's like as if Ooh. someone took a CB nine hundred F and just rendered it for a video game. That's what this picture is. So in a weird way. Like Ian, this picture is supremely anticlimactic because if you want this bike, it basically exists for like $900. Why do they do it in grayscale? I don't know. Like we have taught, we have done entire episodes on why all motorcycle concept pictures have to be dumb. So this I'm just true. not even yeah. going to go into it, but isn't it weird that Honda in its, in its strange concept has released a concept photo of a bike, which is way less sophisticated than what it's con- currently doing. Yeah, actually I would like the, the CB 1000 the CB1000Rs more if they looked more like this. I would this too. This is actually a really good look. Yes, but can we both agree that this is basically the Honda CB900F? Uh, I feel like it's got a shorter wheelbase, but essentially, yes. If you put this next to the, the like, what is it, like 84 to 88 CB900F, those may not be the years it was made, but it's pretty close to that. That's basically what this bike is. It's it's yeah. tweaked. It's it's tweaked, but only just tweaked. So yeah, yeah, you're right. If this bike was was around today instead of the CB one thousand R, it's closer to the mark. And there's really no reason this bike couldn't exist exactly like it does in this picture, except for you know. In this picture, it's basically got a fender delete and no mirrors or turn signals. But beyond that, yeah, this bike could totally exist. And this is what the the CB1000R should be next year. And people will love it. Sure. It's got the, the, well, the 70s, I, 80s Honda stripes across the bodywork. It's kind of a it's, big problem here, which is actually the fender delete. Because this bike if it was ever made would have a fender and then it's not the fact that it would just have a fender but it's the fact that if you did not have the fender then you still have to have a 
turn signal and license plate stock coming off the back of the bike that's going to come down like eight inches and you'll look at it in the showroom with the license plate holder on it which is required to meet all the you know international and 50 states regulations on license place license plate placement so if you saw this bike and it was legal you'd be a lot less impressed with it I disagree. I think you can show this off in showrooms with the new floating wheel hugger license plate setup that we first saw on the Husqvarna's that many people are doing now. Uh, there's that. We, well, we also saw that on the um, on the R on the BMW R9Ts as well. That's true. Those are probably the first two bikes I saw it on, but it's becoming more and more common that bikes are being released with those wheel huggers. And I'm seeing a lot of people just leaving them on, in fact, now. I think as a stock option, it's the much better way to go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's functional and it's somewhat discreet. Yeah. I I see no problem with the wheel hugger option. I think it's a great way that the manufacturers creatively thought around the whole rear fender problem and the aesthetics of it. I don't think people mind it per se it, it, because it's still a clean look. Right. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. Um, and we may have had some other emails in here, but you know what? At this point, I think we're doing good for time and whatever we got left, we can leave for another episode. So um, I think in wrapping up this episode it's hard to say uh, i'm going to talk with them tomorrow next week we might have austin from twisted road back on because apparently we got some developments on what twisted road is doing and i'm just going to come out and say it i thought that originally when we talked to austin from twisted road that they uh, he was doing the best version of that business and I wished him all the best, and I thought it would be a small niche business, but goddamn if that concept isn't like growing and working, right? And I didn't expect Mm -hmm. that. So we're going to see what he's got cooking up there and how that kind of fits into what's going on now in the current market probably next week but maybe the week after that we'll see how it works out and i don't know we'll come up with some other weird strange off the wall subject to talk about with motorcycles we'll tell you what's going with uh, going on with us with riding and whatever other else original motorcycle content we can come up with and that we absolutely will come up with because we are dedicated to not recycling old episodes not a knock on anyone that has and we're dedicated to doing original complete motorcycle content no knocks on anyone that's doing you know content other than that and you know Yeah, some people have stopped listening to motorcycle podcasts just to only focus on the news. But for those of you, I think it's really important that we keep doing 
motorcycle centric shows because you need the distraction. It's important to you and it's our job to deliver it. So no matter what happens, I guarantee you every week you're going to hear a Nokomoto that delivers that. So with that, leave us ratings and reviews, tell a friend about the show. And I think there's nothing left to say except stay safe and stay tuned and keep fighting the dragon. You ready to do the outro? Let's go. Okay. I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. Go. People should know that neither of us can hear that in time because of the way that we're recording yes. this. <laughs> all right no it's gonna be a disaster but we're just gonna roll with it we're just gonna do it all right all right kill it well you're killing it oh that's true <laughs>